You know, after an honest conversation about excessive drinking and recreational marijuana, I'm just shocked you showed up today. I really am. I'm really surprised <laughs> some of you uh, decided to show up. Well done! You made it again! And if you don't know what I'm talking about, just listen to last week's podcast. It was a, an honest attempt to tackle a real uh, epidemic in our world where the culture says, do what you want, as much as you want, and who cares about the results? And God just seems to say something different. But whenever we talk about changing behavior, because some of you totally disagree with everything I said or parts of what I said, and that's totally cool. Here's what's really important. That whenever we're looking at things that God is inviting us to change, we look at the why as much as the what. The why matters. So if, if the Bible says don't get, don't get drunk because of where it leads, you can just take that as a rule and it could be a life killing rule. Legalism kills. But if you understand the why, then the what becomes an invitation to life. So following Jesus is not just a, a list of census rules that God has these rules. He's trying to steal my joy. And so follow him. And yeah, you may get heaven, but life will be hell. No. Life with Jesus is relational. And the goal of following Jesus is true, inner, joy and peace and love and goodness. So we have to know why. And this morning we're going to continue to look at that. Uh, we're looking at the first 10 weeks of this year to mark the next 10 years of this decade. 10 things that are true from us from Ephesians 4, 5, and 6. And we've made ourselves almost to chapter 6 this morning. And we're going to look at uh, one of these 10 things. So let's look at a Bible verse where we ended last week. Uh, Ephesians uh, 5, we ended in verse uh, 20, and I want to just read verse 21 to begin our conversation. It says, uh, Ephesians 5, 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Jesus. This verse, it works like a hinge, a hinge on a door, right? Is that one little thing that gives the, the door the ability to, to pivot and move. And this kind of verse is a hinge. Remember, the why is as important as the what. So submit to one another is the what, right? That's what we're called to do. Submit to one another, but why matters. Out of respect, reverence, out of recognition of Jesus. And so what Paul does here now, after saying don't get drunk, but be filled again with the Holy Spirit, what he does is he applies how we live a spirit-filled life with other people. The why matters. Since you now have the Holy Spirit, we are now called to live with one another in a spirit-directed way. We're not supposed to treat each other like our culture does. We're not supposed to even treat each other like I feel like I should. We're supposed to treat each other in relationship with the Holy Spirit who's living in you and living in me, submit to one another. And here's, here's, here's the what. God's going to shape us by us and through us. So God wants to shape your life. You say, I want to follow Jesus. I'm struggling growing. I would ask you, who are you listening to? Are you listening to anyone who's following Jesus? Well, I kind of pick and choose and this and that. Here's why God puts us in a family and we're going to talk about family relationships today. Why God puts us in a family is because he knows how to shape us. He shapes us through people. 
So the command is submit yourselves one to another because Jesus is working through other people for your good and for my good. And so who are you listening to? That's why we listen to one another and that's why we're called to submit. That is, when we hear something that's true from someone, we don't get mad at them because they're telling the truth. We learn to love them because God's using them in a powerful way for our good. So following Jesus means we, we live a different way. Write this down. This is our identity statement for the day. And we'll spend the rest of the time, you're kind of following the rhythm here. We take one thought, we want to drill in deep on what that means. We are servants. Just write that down. Remember, submit to one another out of reverence for Jesus. We are servants. So the mark of Jesus, the mark of following Jesus is servanthood. How do I know that? Jesus lived this way, Jesus modeled this way, and Jesus' followers have continued this way. And so what we want to look at this morning is, what does it mean for me to follow Jesus? Who am I? Well, I am a servant. Why? Now, if you're wondering, just look at Jesus himself. I looked at one of many examples in the life and teaching of Jesus, Mark 10. Just write it down. I'll put it on the screen for you. Mark 10. Verse 42 to 45, there's a discussion because uh, two disciples wanted to be on Jesus' left and right. They wanted to flank him. They wanted to be the most important. And, and so did these two boys' parents. They wanted their kids to make it. And this is what Jesus says as they begin to get mad at each other. Like, who's closest to Jesus? Uh, Mark 10, 42, Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. That's how the world works. Verse 43. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. That is the what. Uh, the culture says if you have authority, use it. If you want to be a strong leader, show it. And Jesus says, not among you. Here's the command. You want to be number one? Serve everyone. That's the what. Now notice the why. Verse 45, for even the Son of Man, Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So serving is the way of Jesus. The reason I could submit to you, and you ought to think about submitting to me. We ought to submit, not just every one of you submit to me, but we submit one to another. We're all in layers of authority. We all have boundaries. We all have people we look to. We all have people that look to us. Every one of us is connected. That's what Jesus is saying. The reason I think about serving as the highest value is because of Jesus. God knows how to serve. I want you to ponder this for a moment. The creator of everything serves. So the moment I think that I'm above you, the moment I think that my thoughts are higher than your thoughts, the moment I think I ought to get my way over you, I ought to think about God. Because there's no one who can stick their finger up at God. And yet God humbles himself to be born of a nobody woman. It's not like 
He was born in the household of a king and queen. A no one. Mary was a no one. And God chose to serve you by coming to your level and coming to my level. So, so the motivation for serving isn't false humility. It's actually following in the pattern of the creator. Now, that's the foundation. We are servants. Now, the contrast, Jesus says clearly, this is not the way of our day. Remember, Jesus is born in the Middle East under Roman authority, and the Caesar rules, and the Caesar's troops rule, and the Caesar's appointed leaders rule, and it is very top-down in ways that you and I and our, you know, equal culture are appalled at. Aren't we appalled when you read the news about authoritarian rulers, if I can get the word out, about people who are just dominating, who, who take their country and do whatever they want and take the amount of money they want and seem to abuse people? That appalls us because we're in a democracy or a republic, whatever you want to call our, our form of government. We are in a we the people kind of culture. You got to remember, that's not the culture that Jesus lived in. Caesar rules. You want to you rule over Caesar? Kill him and take over. And so in a culture steeped with top-down, Jesus says, greatness in the kingdom is when you don't, don't submit because someone forced you, but when you recognize God and you say to your brother or sister in Jesus, I'm going to listen to you and I'm going to let God lead me through you, which sounds very countercultural, doesn't it? But this is the way of Jesus. Now, um, if, I, if I wanted to go straight, I would go to verse 22 uh, of Ephesians 5, where Paul begins to tease this out. So he says, submit to one another out of respect because we belong to Jesus. And by the way, Jesus is the greatest servant, and Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Okay, how does this work out in marriage? Well, we have a podcast on that. Uh, Phil and Diane Comer talked about that a couple of weeks ago, so I won't look at that again. But this morning, I want to look at two sets of relationships. We looked at marriage and what it means to love and respect. To submit to one another in marriage is to love and respect. It's to see the value in your spouse if you're married. But not everyone's married. But everyone has a family of some sort. Whether they're close or distant, alive, they've passed away, adoptive, natural. We're all connected in some sort of family relationship. How do we live that out? Ephesians uh, 6 verses 1 through 4. Just, just go to Ephesians 6. We're going to work out two relationships. Relationships in the home, relationships in the workplace. It says in Ephesians 6 verse 1, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. The what and the why. What? Obey your parents. Why? It's the right thing. Verse 2, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on earth. Notice the what. It's, this is a commandment, but notice the why. There's blessing. So the word to parents and children, and now verse 4 continues this. Fathers, don't exasperate your children or don't provoke them. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. What? Don't. Don't look down on your kids and abuse your authority. Why? They belong to the Lord. You can use that relationship to shape their vision of God. Moms and dads, 
you have a child or you have children, if you do, their view of God is shaped by you. For the good or the not so good. Now, this isn't a guilt trip and this isn't a pressure point, it's just a reality. A child's view of God often will come from what they see modeled in their home. So, so the what is be awake, know what God wants to do. Why? There is blessing when we get it right. All right, uh, what does this mean? Write this down. We ought to serve one another in the home. Uh, we are servants, so let's just drill down what it means. Let's look at the family first and let's look at the workplace second. What does it mean? It means we, we ought to serve one another. Notice there's a word to both parties, to the child and to the parent. We're called to serve. What does this look like? Now, here's the why. Get this. The greatest opportunity for the next generation to follow and love and serve the Lord Jesus is through the home. It's the greatest. Now, I'm all about events. I, I believe that events have power. And I think anytime you gather people in the name of Jesus is lifted up, I'm there. I'm all over it. I don't care what it costs. I'll spend the money. Because whenever someone comes to faith in Jesus, the whole world changes. The whole world. Because their world changes. And their family line changes. And the trajectory of their neighborhood and their workplace changes. So whenever one person comes to faith in Jesus, it's worth it. But you know the most effective means is through the home. God is saying, if we learn to serve one another, this is potential. We say, well, I already raised my kids and they're not following Jesus. When he says to children, obey your parents, because this is the first commandment of the promise, so that it may go well with you and you may enjoy long life on earth, don't read that as a personal promise to you. This was a large sweeping promise to God's people. He's using the example of Israel. When Israel was given the law, when God's people would follow God's way in God's land, it would go well for the people. God would bless their people. It's not an individual promise that says, if you obey mom and dad, gritting your teeth and hating it, God is indebted to you to bless you. That is a lie. It's a lie. God's not indebted to anybody. But it is a wisdom principle that if you will honor God, it opens the door for God's blessing. Now, we get that, all right? So it starts in the home. Now, here's what's important. The way I treat my family is a reflection of my following Jesus. Why is this so important? We ought to serve one another in the home because you can't disconnect your faith and your connection to Jesus and your connection to other people. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you do these two things, you've done it all. Love God, love people. So we have to think about the nature of our faith and our love and our passion for Jesus as reflected with the people that God has put around me. So it starts with a practical word for children. Okay, it starts with kids. Children, obey your parents and the Lord. It's right. Honor father and mother. Now what we need to remember whenever we read these types of things, he's, he's talking to real people in a real city that are immersed in a real culture. And I need to give you a little bit of the cultural background so you see why this fits and how this fits. And then we have to do the hard work. And this is why I think this week's a community group discussion guide will be really helpful for you to press into how to live this out now. I'm going to tell you how it was then. Um, even in the pagan, the non-God-following, non uh, you know, non-religious, 
the most honorable thing you could do was to honor the gods and honor your parents. So he's writing to a culture where, uh, it, it's, to use fancy terms, it's called an honor-shame culture. The way you live your life will either bring honor and blessing to you and your family or shame and embarrassment to you and your family. This is hard for us to get because we're totally individuals. As a matter of fact, it's flipped in our culture. The cultural bent is that it's mom and dad's job to do whatever it takes to make the kids happy. Our culture bends that way. The rights are in the child. It's all about the child and are you doing enough for your kid? That was not the first century. As a matter of fact, dad has, dads had absolute authority. A father could dictate whether when a child is born, whether they live or they die. As a matter of fact, many young girls, because girls didn't have as much value, were left and abandoned to die. A father could sell their children into slavery, into servanthood, to pay off debts. And no one shunned this. The right of the, the family goes to the father and to the parents, but mostly the father. So fathers had unlimited power. In that culture, it's interesting, Paul says, don't forget mom and dad in light of Jesus. Honor them. A dad, if you were a young girl, you were under your father's care to the day that you were married, and then it was transferred over to your husband, and you lived under their protection and care. This was a good thing because people in culture didn't want ladies to be used and abused. And so you were under the care of your dad and then under the care of your husband. It's just not like that today. Today's culture is, I'm yours until I'm 18. And at this random date that our culture verified, what, what makes you an adult at 18? Your birthday? Your driver's license? We have chosen a day. Well, some say 18, some say 21, some say after high school, some say after college, some say after schooling, some say once we figure out what to do, whatever the case may be. Um, we have designed these arbitrary dates that say, now you're an adult, now you can do what I want, now I don't need to listen to mom and dad. And part of it is law, and you can make more legal choices at 18 and or 21. Okay, blah, blah, blah. In the first century, didn't exist. You belong to your parents for life. A, a, a boy never left the care of father. Even when you started your own family, you honored your father until you die. Why? That is your father. And you show respect. Now, that doesn't mean you always obey or always have to do if it's a business decision. Dad says, go left. You think right is better. You could still do that. But you have to do it in discussion. If you want to move away, you don't just move away and email mom and dad and say, hey, I'm out. Are you crazy? You don't consider your parents before you move? Again, I'm trying to get you into the mindset of the people reading this letter. Now, many of their moms and dads didn't have a relationship with Jesus. And this is where it comes in to all cultures at all times. What he says is honor your parents in the Lord. He is not saying if your parents are following Jesus. Honor your mother, your mother and father because of Jesus, whether they follow him or not. Honor them. Why? This is right. There are some cultures today, some of you who travel, and we're a mixed bag here. We're people from all over the world. 
Some of you are brought up in a culture that is closer to this. Many Asian cultures and the majority of African cultures are still, still some Latin American cultures, not all, depending on their influence from Europe or not, are still bent this way. You know families, you know people who consult their parents before they make life decisions because to not do so would be disrespectful and seen as wrong. Now, here's the challenge for how we apply us. We come from all sorts of places. And some of you, the fact that I'm even talking about a connection to mom and dad, you're trying to smile and it's becoming increasingly difficult because your, your situation is pretty bad. And you're coming from an environment where like, well, I'm keeping my family away from mom and dad for these reasons. So I, I have to say this tenderly. We're not, we're not going to all see how to live this out the same and that is okay. Here's what's not okay is when you're in their home, under their care, wherever, before 18, whatever the situation is, that you're not flat out rebellious. Following Jesus doesn't give you the license to say, well, I'm just going to do what God wants me to do. Forget you. There is a system that God has put in place for our protection and our good. So we have to think about, especially for younger that what, what does it mean to follow Jesus? If you're not yet out of the house, it means that you consider your mom and dad and that you learn to listen to them and that because of Jesus, you recognize God is my ultimate father and I love him. And so to completely disrespect the care he's providing for me could be dishonoring to him. So I'm gonna factor God in all things and I'm gonna factor mom and dad, or mom or dad, or just mom or just dad, depending on your situation, I'm not just going to blow them off and say it's just me and God. You have to figure it out. Now, here's some interesting news. Paul addresses children directly in the letter. Notice, children. Not, hey, moms and dads, tell this to your kids. This is really cool. In a culture that looked down on kids, the Bible elevates the value of kids. And he says directly to kids, here's how you should live. And so in a sense, that's a word to parents because they're reading this letter in the church and the kids are there and moms and dads are there. Now Paul's got a word from God to you children. There's a word for you. You matter. You are valued. And there's also a word to parents. Notice the word to children. Because you belong to Jesus, treat your parents with honor and respect. We have to tease out what that means. It doesn't mean blind obedience. It doesn't mean when your kids, when your parents tell you to do something that's obviously illegal, immoral, wrong on the side of God, that you blindly just go and do that. There are moments where we have to discern and we need the body. We need to submit to one another, those who are following Jesus, to gain wisdom on how to navigate. And when you get out of the house, how do you deal with parents that are overbearing, who are still trying to lead you like you were three? How do, how do I navigate that? How do I honor and respect? Here's a trick. What's my responsibility? And I think this is the biggest one for us in our day. What's our responsibility to honor and care for our parents in their later years? Our culture has said, once you're out, you're out. That's their business. Is that right? Is it right and honorable to say, now that I'm out of their house, I have no responsibility for their care in their later years? Is that, is that the way of Jesus? Who didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many? Now, I would love to give you pat, easy answers. Uh, there aren't any. 
but we need to know the right questions to ask. This is why we have each other. This is why we learn from one another. But we know that kids are not supposed to be disrespectful. And then notice, what's the word to fathers? Now, it includes parents. But remember, in their culture, the power was with the father. Fathers, don't provoke your kids. Instead, guess what? You have an opportunity to train and instruct them in the way of Jesus. This is written to Christians. So the culture is saying you could do whatever you want. You could sell them off as slaves. You could work them to the bone. You could beat the snot out of them. And there's no lawyer going to take them away in the first century. It's the rule of law goes with the father. And if the father thinks they need harsh, harsh, harsh discipline, no one's going to say anything. And it's in that culture the word of God comes to fathers to say the culture says that's okay. That's not okay. Don't go provoking your kids. You'd be given authority, but remember, they belong to who? The Lord. Notice the twist. Don't provoke them to anger. Train and show them the way of Jesus. How? Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve. And your sacrificial love, Dad, your sacrificial love, Mom, your sacrificial love, Aunt, Uncle, Grandparent, whoever's influencing these, these children, Your way of Jesus is influencing them and can show them what it means to follow God. So this is a a hard word. This is a tough word. But we know kids are not supposed to be rebellious. And we know moms and dads are not supposed to be overbearing. We're supposed to serve one another in the home. Now, there are about 3,000 scenarios to play out because I could see your head spinning like, Oh, gosh, you're, whoa, wait a minute. Here's what I need you to do is, is ask those questions with people who love and follow Jesus and have wisdom and begin to think through, is the approach that I've been taking in line with the way of Jesus? I've been stiff-arming them. I don't want anything to do with them. Is that the way of Jesus? It may be because of what they've done, because of their behavior, because of their lack of respect. It may be the best thing to avoid them. It may not be. Uh, What about care for them long term? Well, I never even thought about that. Maybe we actually should. We want to honor mom and dad. Even when we're out of their care, we're connected to them. And so, man, I would love for the Bible to be easy sometimes. It's just hard, right? All right. That was a fun one. Okay, great. Let's move on. All right. Ephesians 6, 5. That's the relationship at home. And yeah, this takes some thought. Now let's look at the workplace. Verse 5. Slaves obey your earthly masters with respect and fear, with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Jesus Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eyes on you, don't brown nose, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly, as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them, since you know uh, that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. And there's no favoritism with him. In other words, you're the boss, but there's a real boss. And guess what? Just because they're under you doesn't mean God doesn't see all right, what do we ought to do? Write this down. We ought to serve one another in the community. It happens to be uh, Black History Month, and we watched in our house 
Uh, we've been wanting to watch it for a while. Just took us a while. Harriet, the movie about Harriet Tubman, also known as Moses, who, who God used in a mighty way to bring, physically rescue slaves out of the South in a time of, of history in America where people were being bought and sold and killed and misaligned. And it's a graphic reminder that evil exists and history is important because that could easily be repeated and is being repeated and we pray that never happens again. But I need to give a little caveat. Slavery in America or European slavery, when we read the Bible and we say, slaves, obey your master, like, whoa, is God pro-slavery? We need to take a time out and realize slavery in the first century is not the same thing when we say slavery in the 1800s, 1700s in America. I'll give you some distinctives. One, it wasn't racially motivated. Slavery in America was very racially motivated. People were taking, taken from mostly sub-Saharan Africa and other places and brought in and bought and sold for life. Uh, it wasn't racial in the first century. One third of the workforce were in some sort of slave-master relationship. Uh, people were enslaved for all sorts of reasons. It was a way to pay off debt. So you couldn't pay your debts? Okay, you will work for me for 15 years. Uh, there were products of wars. People, there were wars and takeovers. and People were brought from around the country and made. They weren't given, it was more of a status. You weren't given citizenship. You were, you were not a freed person. You were a slave. So, so there were lots of reasons. I'm not saying it was good. I'm saying it's not the same thing. Many people could win their freedom. Most slaves were released by the age of 30. And so there was often a time period, and then you, were, uh, then you were released or you could buy it. It wasn't always for life. And in America, it was for life, and then your kids and your kids and your kids and your kids after you were subhuman. It's not the same thing. And in the first century, many slaves had important positions. There were doctors and lawyers and accountants and shipmasters who were slaves. It was more of a nature of relationship. Doesn't mean they were free to do whatever, but they were often given education and expertise. And sometimes you went from a slave relationship and then uh, I was freed and then I'm your doctor and you're paying me full price. So I'm not saying this was great. I'm saying it's not the same. So the best parallel, because we don't have this kind of system in our day, is how do we address uh, the workplace. How do we, that's the best parallel we can do. How do we address justice in our work, not as family? Kids, honor your parents. Parents, don't provoke your kids. Serve one another in the home. How do we serve one another in society? Well, notice there's a word to slaves in the Bible. So there's value. These are not subhumans. There's a word to them, to those uh, on the bottom of society, there's a word for you. Um, you belong to Jesus. Honor Jesus in your station in life. And there's a word to masters. Honor Jesus. The same word with different applications. So it's the same word. Serve kids. Serve your parents. Honor them. Parents, serve your kids by showing them the way of Jesus. And in the workplace, if you're the master, if you're the leader, show the way of Jesus. If you're under authority, show the way of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 7 gives us just another example 
of master's slaves. It's very helpful. Verse 21, 1 Corinthians 7 says, uh, were you a slave when you were called? In other words, were you a slave when you became Christian? Don't let it trouble you. That's weird. Saying you don't have to get out of it. If you're in a slave relationship, if you have a master, don't let that bother you. Although, if you can gain your freedom, do it. Freedom's a good thing. Notice, though, that both people are tied. Verse 22. For the one who was a slave when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's freed person. So if you were a slave, you're actually really free. You don't belong to your master. Who do you belong to? Jesus. It's a matter of perspective of the mind. How do you see yourself? You're not a pawn. You now are free in Jesus. Oh, similarly, the one who is free when called is Christ's slave. Oh, so did you already have your freedom? Guess what? You're actually a slave. You don't belong to you. You belong to Jesus. Both slave and master belong to Jesus. Oh, by, by the way, for everyone, verse 23, you were bought at a price. You were bought at a price. Don't become slaves of human beings. He's not saying slavery is a good thing. Brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation there were when God called them. So if you can get your freedom, great. But know this, you belong to Jesus. So you don't become closer to Jesus when you gain your freedom in the culture. You don't become closer to Jesus when you go from the employee to the employer. We all find ourselves at a different station in life. And what he's saying is, if you follow Jesus, you can actually honor him where you're at. You can honor God. You say, well, I'm a student. You can honor God. Uh, I'm an employer. I'm a business owner. You can honor God. Uh, I'm just getting started. No one's paying me, man. I'm working hard. I'm, I'm making peanuts. Oh, you can honor God. I'm in middle management, but I'm stuck. Oh, by the way, here's some good wisdom. You can honor God. Wherever you are, I'm a single mom. I'm just trying to put food on the table. You can honor God. I'm a stay-at-home mom. I, I have all this education, and right now I'm hearing, you know, blah, 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 all day long. I'm going crazy. Guess what? You can honor God. Wherever you are, you don't have to get there to honor God. You can honor God right there. And by the way, if God moves your station in life, if you can get freedom, great. So your situation could change, and guess what? You're still a slave of Christ. Our primary identity is not our job. It's, it's, our primary identity is not our marital status. Our primary identity is not our education. Our primary identity is not our citizenship. An important word in an election season. Our primary identity is child of God. That's who you are. Therefore, you're tied to God. If you're enslaved by the culture, you're free. You belong to God. If you're free and you think you can do whatever you want, oh no, don't forget you're a slave of Jesus. Not your job, not your title, not your relationships. Who are we? We are servants. Now, what does this mean? A couple, just a couple of thoughts and we'll, and we'll uh, respond in worship. So here's what this means. I think if you look employer, employee, it's not exact, but it's about the closest I think that we can, we can get. If you're an employee or if you're a student or if you're just a citizen, treat your manager, treat your teacher, treat your, your officials, the people over you, treat them with respect. Guess what? They may not be awesome. They may be horrible. You know, as 
His application is, if you're a slave, don't just do the right thing when they're watching. Guess what? God's always watching. You can honor God in your attitude towards people who are ungodly, and you can, in doing that, show the way of Jesus. Do you work with a pure heart and a good attitude? You can't change the attitude of your boss. You can't change the attitude of your employees. You know whose attitude you can adjust? Your own. You can have the right Jesus attitude. And if you're an employer on the other side, or if you're a teacher, or if you're like a leader of some sort, treat people with dignity. Don't take your title or your power or your authority and get on a trip. Why? You can get away with it on earth, but God is watching. And if you're a Jesus follower, your primary responsibility is to Jesus. So even if your boss's boss says, great move, you could still be dishonoring Jesus. Now you say, well, Jose, that sounds great because you work for a church and uh, that's not the real world. Well, I was uh, talking with Martin. He's part of our church. He's taught here before. And he has influence over about 300,000 employees worldwide, which is a lot more than I do. And he's got a principle I want to remind us of that I thought he teaches this to their executives worldwide. And it just happens to be in line with the way of Jesus. Write it down. We ought to see people eye to eye. It's a metaphor, okay? Um, We ought to see people eye to eye. What does that mean? I don't look up at people unduly as if I'm a nobody. And I definitely don't look down at people as though I'm more important. As a human and as a leader, I need to learn to lead. I need to learn to see people eye to eye. What does that mean in our context? And I think this is the heart of what he means. But in his context, he shares it just business to business. It means everyone else is human. They're human. Whether they're educated or not, as much as we are, influence, experience, all those things are secondary. Well, you know what we need to do as Jesus followers? See people as human. So I see eye to eye. I may be given influence over them. I can hire them. I can fire them. I can give them a raise. I can keep them stuck. I do not do that flippantly. I see them eye to eye. God has graced me with influence in their life. And if I am their leader, it's my opportunity, my responsibility to build them up. And help them be everything God created them to be. Is that how you see the people that are under you? That is the way of Jesus. And it's on the other side. I, I look at the people who are above me, who have authority over me. I see them eye to eye. Not disrespectful, but I'm not groveling. But I see them as human. And you know what? They have flaws too. And they may need encouragement. They may need to get the deadline done, and I could be a tool in God's hands to get the deadline done. I could actually be productive. I can make their life helpful, meaningful, and in that, I can show the way of Jesus. So this could be played out in all sorts of relationships. We are servants. So in the home, we see eye to eye. Yes, I'm above my children, and yes, I have a God-given responsibility to care for my children, but I'm not supposed to be a jerk. And there are some people who don't want to follow Jesus because that's exactly what their parents have been. And I don't want to model that. And in the same way as a child, I don't want to say, I love Jesus, but I'm going to do whatever I want because I'm smarter than my parents. That's not helpful at all, and it doesn't honor the Lord. So it works in the home, and it works 
in, in society, whether in school or whether in work or whether in government, that we see people as human, created in the image of God, loved by God, important to God. And guess what? Because I'm a child of God, no matter what I have to take, I can be an influence for Jesus right where I'm at. And even though I may hate what I do, is it possible that I can love the people that God's called me to while I don't enjoy what I do? So for some of us, that's just a word of hope. Your job is dull or uninteresting or to you unimportant. Okay, I'm not going to disagree with you. Maybe it is. Could it be that God brought you there for the people? And could we learn to see them eye to eye as equally valuable, lovable, helpable, encourageable? And if God gives you influence, then maybe you can bring in the way of Jesus in the way you live, which opens up in the way you speak. And the reason that Martin can share globally is because he actually lives this way. He fights for the good of the people under his care. He thinks about their well-being. Why? Because of the Bible. And he knows the way of Jesus, so given his job, he can live the way of Jesus and in doing so, honor God. And the same could be said for you. Now, um, what does this mean? Okay, when Paul writes to Ephesus, he also writes to Colossae. And so in a parallel passage, this is a great summary statement. Write this down. And maybe this is the one verse you can meditate on this week. Colossians 3, verses 23 and 24. So two verses. Whatever you do, and that just equalizes all of it. Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. That covers everything and every relationship at all times. Wherever you find yourself right now, if you belong to Jesus, you're actually serving Jesus through school, through work, through parenting, it's not disconnected. So if you're married, are you treating your spouse in a way that's fitting Jesus? That's, that's what Colossians 3 is all about. Are you treating your marriage partner in a way that's fitting to Jesus? If not, it's dishonoring the Lord. You don't have to. You can actually honor him. Um, as a child or as a parent, you're one of the two or both in this context. Are you treating your parents, are you treating your children in a way that's fitting to Jesus? Are you serving? Are you helpful? Are you honoring? Are you loving? Are you sacrificial? Are you caring? Just take Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And filter in your life. Are you living like him? If not, you can. And in the workplace, are we treating our job and our responsibility in a way that's fitting to Jesus? We should. Why? It's the Lord that we're serving. It's the Lord, not people. Okay, disclaimer. If you're not serving the Lord, what's your next step? Because that's where it begins. I could, until we learn to submit our, our, our lives to the leadership of Jesus and say, wow, like I don't belong to myself, I belong to you. And I've sinned, I've fallen short, 
and I want to come home. Father, I want to follow you. I want to receive grace and mercy. Until I learn to follow the Lord, the rest of this relational stuff is going to be near impossible because all of this stuff is connected with the phrase, be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who gives me me the ability to love and serve and fulfill my calling. So this morning, it's a a great day to follow Jesus. I'm gonna invite the band to come. We're gonna respond in worship uh, now. As we do that, are you following Jesus, really? If not, what's the next step? It's receive, receive, 100%. It's by grace that we have been saved through trust in Jesus. And this isn't a work, because nobody can boast that they got good enough to find God. It's grace and mercy. And this morning, if you've not yet said, you know what, I, I need to repent. I need to turn from this way of living and turn to the leadership of Jesus. Then you can right now, this morning, right now, follow him. And then the, the following him with other people, man, over the rest of your life, he'll work it out. He'll work it out through you. He'll show you the way. Why don't we stand to our feet and as an act of worship, Let's put the stuff to the side and let's, uh, let's focus on what matters the most. And what matters the most is our response. Hear me. Our response to the Lord. And if, if you know that you're far from him, you don't have to be. So let's begin at the beginning. And if there are some of you here this morning who say, like, I just need to start following Jesus. Or you know what? I need to come back to the way of Jesus because... At some point, I trusted him, but in the way that I'm living, I'm very much trusting, I'm very much trusting me. So, so maybe this morning is the time to return, return to the Lord. There's favor and blessing with him. I want you to close your eyes and we're just gonna talk to the Lord in your own way. If you know there are, if there are things that you just know because the spirit is alive in you, you just know, oh my gosh, why have I, what have I? How could I? Then just come clean and ask for mercy. And our God is a God of mercy. He's a God of grace, of mercy. And so if you need to find forgiveness for things that you've done, thought, said, um, let's just come clean. That's, Lord, we need you. We need you, Lord. We need you. I'm going to ask you to take a bold step. If, don't look around. If you're here this morning, say, you know what? There's some things in my life, the way I've been a boss or been an employee, uh, a mom or a dad, uh, a child, that have just been off kilter. But this morning, I'm, I'm laying that over to God's grace and mercy for a new start and another opportunity. If that's you here this morning, on the count of three, I just want you to raise up your hand as a confession to God says, yeah, that, that, that's me. One, two, three. If that's you this morning, you just need to come clean. Totally cool. Put it down. There's nothing wrong. Confession is beautiful. It's good for the soul. It's good for our lives. All right, this morning, if you're here, you say, Jose, I have not yet started following Jesus, or I have taken such a radical turn against him, but I want to come home. My next step is to say, Jesus, rescue me from my situation, from my sin, from my past, from my future without you. If that's you here this morning, nothing to be ashamed of. On the count of three, I want you to raise up your hand and then put it down. It's your way of just saying, you know what, Jesus, I'm here. Rescue me. One, two, three. Put it up, put it down. Anyone here this morning? Cool. 
Lord, we come to you and we need you for everything. Holy Spirit of God, now work this out in us today and this week and help us to serve people as you, Lord Jesus, would serve them. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's respond and worship together.